Next Sunday is a business meeting. Super exciting. Um, everybody, I mean, we have t- so many people, it's hard to fit everybody in the sanctuary for business meetings. Not really. Um, but next week, we're going to be doing a couple things. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you know this, but uh, he's going to give us an update on the um, building um, committee and what they've been working on the last several months. Uh, and so I think you want to come and, and hear an update on that. Also, we're going to be talking about um, the possible change to our Sunday morning schedule. Uh, we got a couple of different things that we're thinking about. Uh, one is, you know, maybe the addition of another service or changing our, our morning uh, plan for, you know, times and things. So we'll be talking about that, discussing it. We'll vote on that next week. So you want to come and, and share what you think and uh, have a, a say on that and see if, where we're at. Um, also, we want to be lifting up Israel. Um, Israel is, has been under attack, and they're, I think, in a, uh, looks like a war at this point, and uh, I think the last song was very appropriate, um, but God has always had his hand on that land and those people. Um, his word says to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Um, we take that you know, as our marching orders that we support and stand with uh, and pray for and bless Israel. Um, and so uh, I believe this could be, I hope this could be a moment where God is going to reveal um, just a miraculous working of his spirit in that place um, that the world will take notice and, and see how God is powerfully moving. Um, but let's uh, lift up um, Israel right now and what's going on there together. Father, we just, uh, we thank you so much, Lord, that um, as we've already mentioned this morning, that we can come and pray and worship and sing and and hear your word without fear. Uh, Lord, you have blessed us with that opportunity. Lord, we thank you uh, to be able to come together and just uh, lift up our friends in Israel. Uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would move powerfully, Lord, through everything happening there, Lord, to protect your people, protect all the people, Lord. Um, There's such a a care for, a a desire for um, the protection of life, Lord, that Israel does not want to harm or kill anyone, Lord. they, they, uh, They desire to see life preserved. They have a high value because of your word, Lord, that tells us that we were made in your image. They believe that. We believe that, Lord, that you would uh, step in and uh, cause there to be peace, remove uh, the threat, Lord, that you would um, do that in such a way, Lord, that it would limit the amount of uh, lives lost on either side, Father. We just, uh, we pray for them. We pray that your spirit would do such a a work, Lord, that it would be uh, undeniable that it was you that moved, that you that did uh, the work. And we'll just give you praise, Lord. But we lift them up. We, we, we thank you that we can uh, commit them to you for your care, your protection, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, this morning, I have to tell you that, you know, when we preach, we always preach the word of God. Um, it... it I mean, that should be such an obvious statement, I don't know, but um, 
We take this book seriously. This is God's word. He has revealed himself to us through it. He's revealed his plan of salvation through his word. Um, and so this, this Bible, I don't know uh, how many of you know just all the little details, but it's important to know what it is. 66 uh, books divided between Old Testament and New Testament. You have 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Um, and it went written over the course of about 1,500 years. So from the time of Moses to the time of the early church, uh, 1,500 years where God inspired prophets to reveal himself, to speak into their life, and them to write that down in three different languages, Hebrew, primarily in the Old Testament, some Aramaic, and then primarily Greek in the New Testament. Um, and it written to reveal... Um, through 40 different authors, a consistent, coherent plan of salvation. So we have from creation to eternity revealed in God's word. And it tells us about who God is. It tells us about who we are. It tells us about the distance that we have between us and God and God's plan to bridge that gap through his son, Jesus. And so Jesus is on every page, what we say, what's, what we believe or what we understand about that is that God, in revealing his plan of salvation, um, prophesied and, and revealed that he was going to bring about a solution through his son, Jesus Christ. And so all the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, and then Jesus is revealed, and then the rest of the New Testament points to uh, how to follow Jesus. So everything is centered on the person of Jesus, but it, it's a, an inspired book, which means that um, it has divine origin. God breathed on, breathed into his inspiration into these people to reveal all these things to us that we might have a source, a foundation, a confidence for reality and for eternity. And so um, it's interesting, it's, it's sad, but it's interesting that... Um, one of the things, one of the targets of our enemy is to always begin with undermining the word of God. You, you see it in Genesis chapter 3 uh, where Satan begins to talk to uh, Eve and what does he say? Did God really say? And that is always the, the beginning of the attack of the enemy on faith, on following God, on believing is did God really say that? Can you really trust his word? Can you really trust God? But can you trust that, that what you have in front of you is accurate, is true? Can you be confident in that? And so the world is going to continue to have that type of a, a program, a scheme, a, a, a threat, whatever you want to call it. But the idea is if, if the world can, and I say the world meaning the world isn't always atheist. It isn't always unbelievers. Sometimes the world can be uh, the world creeping into the church. And there's false prophets and there's heretical uh, pastors and there are people that are call themselves Christians that also participate in the active assault on the word of God trying to undermine faith. That, I don't know if they all know it. You kind of wonder sometimes if they realize that they're involved in this process. But the idea, the lie that we're wanting to deal with this morning is 
this, this uh, consistent uh, prevalent um, threat or conflict or scheme, which is to try to convince people that the, the Bible is full of contradictions. Is the Bible full of contradictions? Is it full of error? Is it full of wrong teaching? Is it full of falsehood? If you can undermine the scripture, then everything else will follow. That's all you got to do. You just have to undermine the, the relevancy, um, the authority, the believability, the reality of scripture, and then faith will, will have to follow that. Because there's one criteria for heaven. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this. One criteria for heaven is faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's, the, it's not good works. It's not, uh, you know, pay enough money. It, it's not, uh, you know, your good deeds outweighing your bad deeds. It's, it's just trusting Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross. That's it. Well, how would you know that? Or how could you believe that? Or how could you trust that? How could that become real for you if, if this book is not what it claims to be? But do we believe that just because we want to? Or do we have a good reason? So let's, let's discover that a little bit together. If you don't mind, let's stand as we read God's word. We're going to pick up Psalm 119 in verse 105. You're probably familiar with these words. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. And Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you were so gracious to reveal yourself, to show us how to come uh, back to you, how to know you, how to love you, how to follow you, how to have wisdom for life, how to have eternal life. Uh, you've been so patient with us, Lord. We're, we're slow to, to understand. We're slow to follow. Um, and you just continually guide us along with such care, with such love, Lord. Uh, we thank you for that, that the grace upon grace upon grace has been uh, scattered abroad, Lord, not only to us but to, uh, to the whole world, Lord, that we might have a witness of your goodness. Lord, we, we pray that you would continue that work today. Um, do, do another work, Lord. Your word says that your word always accomplishes your will, that it never returns to you void. It never returns to you without having done what you've set it out to do. And Lord, uh, we're praying that your word is, is going out right now. Um, the, the truth, the, the power, the, the goodness, the grace, uh, Lord, to change hearts, to uh, win people to you, to change minds, to reveal um, who you are, what you want, to convict, to comfort, to, to uh, confirm, Lord, whatever, whatever it is that you want to do this morning, we pray that you would accomplish through your word, 
And we would allow you to do that, Father, by simply having an open heart, an open mind, open ears for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Psalm 119, um, in case you're not familiar with the Psalms or uh, this particular Psalm, it is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, okay? So it is by far the longest Psalm, the longest chapter in the Bible. And what it is, is the the entire thing is uh, David writing about how glorious God's Word is, how wonderful His law is just over and over and over, and how he does it is he takes the Hebrew alphabet, each letter he's going to write a small psalm with that letter being the first uh, letter in each sentence, okay? And so he goes through 22 different psalms, starting with A all the way through Z, which is not really Hebrew, but you get the idea. So this is what he's doing in in Psalm 119, and I just want you to see that um, in this psalm how... God is, is encouraging and, and drawing and, and um, inspiring us. And he says, the word, your word is a lamp to my feet. Now, I, he, you have to understand one thing really quick, and, and this may or may not mean a lot to everybody, but when David is talking about and exalting you know, God's word and, and delighting in it and um, just praising God for how wonderful it is, you realize that all he had was... The first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and maybe Job. That's all he had of, of the Scripture at this point. God is still revealing Scripture to the prophets through the ages, and so that's what he's talking about. He, he has Genesis through Deuteronomy, and so he's reading Leviticus, and he's just like, wow, God, you're so amazing. Anybody pick up Leviticus lately and just, oh, my God, you're so amazing. I can't believe how you've... I'm actually reading Leviticus right now. I find it fascinating. I really do. I love it. Numbers, if you haven't read Numbers lately, skip the first 10 chapters, okay? Yes, there's a lot of numbers there. But then you get into the, some stories, and it's really amazing. But he says, the, the word, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You, this is how you understand. In the New Testament, Jesus says that the, the way to salvation is narrow. Have you heard that before? But the way to destruction is a broad path. The narrow path has to be lighted, and it's lighted by the Word of God. In order for you to travel through this world, you're not going to do it unharmed. You're not going to do it without tripping and faltering and stumbling. Um, It's not easy, but it is safe, and it's safe because of where it leads. He says that your word is a light to my path and it's a a lamp to my feet. I have sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules. And that next sentence there, I have sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules is kind of an important issue because in our faith, one of the things that we, we tend to do is we talk about believing in God. Uh, We talk about trusting in Christ, which are very important things. Would you agree? Um, praying, uh, believing, having faith, those are important things. We rarely talk about another issue which is brought out in that passage. You and I, in order to have a right relationship with God, have to understand who He is accurately through His Word. 
And so there's a commitment that is actually made that is part of your faith, which is to believe his word, to put your faith in the Bible. So when we teach every Sunday morning here, we're not just teaching man's opinion. We're teaching what God's word has said. And we're committed in, in, in some kind of a uh, confirmation of, of a, a commitment that is ongoing, that is permanent, that it won't end, that shouldn't end. And if it does end, then, then our job should be over, which is that we are committed to God's word first and foremost as the revelation of who God is and the revelation of how to know him. There's, and so you, you and I have an issue that we have to deal with, which is that if you don't have a commitment to learning, studying, um, meditating on this, getting involved in reading the Bible for yourself, then your faith is going to, it's going to suffer. Because there's so much that you're not going to know about who God is, what his promises are, what his plans are, what his guidance is for your life, how to deal with the, the struggles that come in life and the, the challenges of the lies that will come and have come that can be combated very easily if you have a commitment to studying and understanding his word. So there's a, a commitment to Christ, but there's also a commitment to his word. He, here's what Jesus says. He says, he's praying for his, his disciples, and I believe that includes you and me. He says, sanctify them by the truth. You remember that? Then what does he say next? Your word is the truth. And what we often do is we separate our Bible study, reading, whatever you want to call it. We separate that from our faith as if I can just believe in Jesus and I'm going to walk along in my, my faith and I'm going to ignore scripture and I'm not going to read it, I'm not going to study it. And what happens is there are a lot of Christians that, as a whole, they don't know what the Bible says. And so when you get a preacher who's far better at speaking than I am, who has a wrong teaching about what it means to follow God, a lot of Christians, they don't know that they're being duped. They don't know that they're being led astray. Why are so many churches in our country so far off the path? Why, how, how could that be? How could there are so many Bibles available to our people in this country? How could so many denominations as a whole be led so far astray? Because the average Christian decided at some point that just Believing in Jesus was enough and that knowing what is in this book is, is not necessary. And we wrote it off like, we'll let those people go to school and, and learn this. And I'm telling you that the, what a lot of pastors are learning in their seminaries is garbage. And then they're coming into churches with a garbage teaching and a lot of people don't know the difference. So this is... My blessing is that I have a church full of people who know God's word, and when I say the wrong thing, they, they tell me. You don't let me preach culture. We're going to preach the word of God here. 
And that, that back and forth is what keeps us on that narrow path. He says uh, next in 107, I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. The word of God will help you when times are tough. You ever find that? When, when things are, are not looking good, when you're down, when you're struggling, when you know, somebody's sick, when somebody's hurting, when somebody's dying, you go to the word and maybe it's, it's, you're not turning on Netflix for comfort. You're going to the Bible and you're reading and you're getting God's word into your heart and it begins to calm your spirit. I'm, when I'm afflicted, I need the word. When he says, accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, teach me your rules. This is, that's probably the one that we most often do. This is where um, we're always encouraging you. Every morning, you know, get in your devotions. Get in your Bible in the morning. Pray and read scripture. It's part of your worship. It's part of your relationship with God. It's part of that normal pattern. It's a, it's a praise kind of a, of a thing where you're just going to spend some time reading a chapter or two. That's great, and we want you to do that. But that, that can't be the only time that you're in the Word and studying and, and reading it. But we do love the fact that it is an act of worship. Just to open your Bible in the morning or in the evening, whenever you do it, but you open your Bible, it's, it's part of your worship. It's part of your relationship with God that He loves to, to accept. Verse 109, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. I think there's two things happening here. One is that uh, you have uh, decisions that you're making. I'm holding my life in my hand kind of means I have a lot of things that I'm trying to deal with and make decisions about. and I'm constantly trying to figure out the right way to go. And the Word of God helps me to understand. Even if it, it doesn't tell me exactly what to do in every particular situation, when it tells me how to be a moral creature according to God's will, then that eliminates a lot of possibilities. Would you agree? But I'm always seeking, God, what is your will? How do you want me to live my life? And his word guides me in that. But there's another issue, which is holding your life in your hand can mean um, that your life is short. It's, it's not going to be here all that long. And, and the older you get, the more you realize, uh, how many more years do I have? I hold my life in my hand. Where am I going? What's going to happen to me? Where, what, what's eternity going to be like? How do I know for sure? What's the, what's the confidence that I can possibly have? The Word of God gives you that sense of understanding. This is the foundation for not just how to live my life, but how to think about eternal life. It says in verse 110, The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. I think about it like this, I guess. No matter if, if, if nobody else in the world accepts if nobody else in the world believes, and the Bible does say this, let all men be liars and God be true. That you will have pressure and you will have the culture coming at you and trying to get you to compromise, trying to undermine the, the, the certainty of God's word. And it's, you just can't let it happen. You've got to continue to trust God's word no matter the enemies that are fighting, no matter the rejection, no matter the persecution. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I'm not going to stray. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are my joy, the joy of my heart. A couple of things happen. Number one is, not only is it the foundation for my life, it's, it is the path to eternal life, and so it's my heritage and it's my destiny. 
It's my, it, it is what people are going to know me for, and it brings me the most joy. So I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever because the word of God is not going to ever end. So there's something eternal about the, the word of God. He has, he has determined that his word will last forever. And as you are putting that into your heart, something is happening. You know, I think Josh was saying a little bit ago about God created you with this void in your heart. Ecclesiastes talks about this, that in every person there is a, a, a void and that only eternity can fill. And the word of God is how God fills that. He, he begins to shape you in the sense of what your life is about and what eternal life is about. And then through that, you get an understanding of who Christ is. And then that begins to be the full fulfillment of God's plan for your life. But it's the word of God leading you into faith in Christ, which leads you into eternal life. And it's all part of how God encourages you from day to day. And so David says, the word is so important. I need it so much. I need to fill my mind with it every day. I need to be conformed to it. So I need to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the renewing of my mind means that I can't just think the thoughts of the culture and of the world and what man's reason gives me. And so I need to have my mind changed by something that is absolutely true, which is God's word, because he revealed it. He breathed it out. And so one of the things that you see in our world is that um, the world wants to undermine your and my confidence in Scripture, and so you'll hear this all the time. The Bible is full of contradictions. Now, people who actually read the Bible are always confused by that. They're like, what do you mean when you say the Bible is full of contradictions? I've read the Bible many, many, many times. I don't see the contradictions, but you say that it's full of them. So what do you mean by that? So I went to study kind of what it is that they're saying the contradictions are, and I'll just give you three basic um, primary ways that, that they're saying the Bible is, is contradictory. The first one begins with a, basically a false argument, and the false argument has to, it goes along like this. So we believe, now part of it is true, we believe that God is omniscient. What does omniscient mean? All-knowing. Okay, and he's omnipotent, which means what? It's all powerful. Um, so he's om- omnipotent and he's omniscient. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. Um, so therefore, there are th- there are things in Scripture where they they would say, you take that theological truth which we believe and we all agree to, and now they're going to say, okay. Uh, since God is all-knowing and all-powerful, then when you see an instance where God has stated a law and he says, thou shalt or thou shalt not, and then you see an instance where somebody is, is breaking that law who is supposedly, according to Scripture, a godly person, then you say God is contradicting himself because as an all-powerful God who, who could do anything and an all-knowing God who knows everything, then he, he shouldn't have allowed that person to do that thing if they're a godly person and it's part of his plan when he said over here that it's wrong. In one of the instances uh, that I read, I thought, well, that's interesting. Let's talk about this, is uh, human sacrifice. Um, let me get a poll going here. Human sacrifice, according to the Bible, yay or nay? Good or bad? Um, so... Um, the law says you shall not sacrifice your children in the fire. Now, let's explore that for a minute. Number one, um, God made 
humans in his image. He's not going to require a human sacrifice to pay for sin. Uh, not only is it precious in his sight, but it's also uh, people are sinful, and so their, their blood doesn't pay for sin. Um, but what was really happening, though, was that the culture uh, that they were in were sacrificing their children to demons. He says, don't, don't do that. It's false worship. It's, uh, per, it's uh, participating with demons. It's evil. It's murder. He says, thou shalt not kill. So all those different things are going on. And then, so you, you understand human sacrifice. Yeah, that, that's a bad thing. And then you go over to the book of Judges, and uh, you see this judge named Jephthah. Anybody remember Jephthah? Raise your hand if, you, if that name rings a bell. Okay, 20 people. Good. It, it's obscure. I want to do a whole series on uh, lesser-known heroes of the Bible and talk about some of these people that we don't always get to, get to know. Uh, but Jephthah was this guy who, in, towards the end of the period of the Judges, now if you read the book of Judges, what you have to understand is that what is being talked about is how morally depraved the Israelites get over time, how far they get from God. And this is towards the end. But Jephthah is a guy who's got a very shady background. Uh, he gets pulled in by the Israelites to, to save them from their enemies. And uh, God puts his spirit on Jephthah to conquer the enemies of Israel because God's going to deliver his people from their enemies. Um, but Jephthah does something stupid. Okay, he, he, I mean, just literally, he's just out of his head, and he does something very foolish. He makes a vow, and the vow is, God, if you'll give me victory, he was going to give him victory anyway. God, if you'll give me victory, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house to you. Did God ask him to do that? So, now let's think about this for a second. What's going to come out of his house I mean, we know it's his daughter that comes out. He's got one kid. He's, he's got an only child in his house. I don't know if he was like hated his wife or something. And like, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be on the video, but it's a good discussion. Um, whether he, he had um, his wife, his child, a pet, None of those things are anything that God had, had uh, desired for sacrifice or required for sacrifice or accepted as sacrifice. You can't sacrifice a dog on the altar. You can't sacrifice any pet on the altar. So the idea that he would sacrifice whatever comes out of his house is, is absurd to begin with. So his daughter comes out, and he makes a vow, and what he should have done is, number one, not make the vow, because it was a stupid vow to begin with, and number two, when his daughter came out of the house, he should have broke the vow and take the consequences on himself. But the argument is that God says no human sacrifice, but then here's a guy that God knew was going to make the vow and knew that his daughter was going to come out, and so he... He accepted this human sacrifice as an offering. So what we have here is not a contradiction, but a bad interpretation. And what I'm telling you is that uh, I'm reading through all these different 
quote-unquote contradictions that people are saying, oh, this is contradiction in Scripture. And they're not contradictions. They are a, a misunderstanding, a misreading, a misinterpretation of Scripture. Because what is, what is God revealing through Scripture? He has laws, he has rules, he has morals that he's revealing, and then he has uh, encounters with human beings that are always failing to uphold those standards. If you, you could look at any instance in Scripture and say, well, this person, uh, they're breaking the law, and God knew that they would, so therefore God is okay with the breaking of the law. That doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so that whole argument is, is just out the window on its face. The idea that somehow they're going to take a theological concept and then throw it back in your face and say, well, your Bible doesn't really teach what is right because... There's something wrong with this whole idea about how God acts. And we say, all these things are proof that we need salvation. <laughs> here's the other, there's two more. Um, one is the mystery. And the idea is that God is all-knowing, and yet uh, we don't have all the information in Scripture given to all the prophets. They get a piece. They get a little nugget here and another one gets more here and another one gets more here and they say this doesn't you know add up if god knows everything and and they don't know everything then therefore your god is uh he maybe he's not all-knowing how is it that they're they're not understanding everything well he's he is a god who who gives us revelation progressively you understand that progressive revelation means it is according to his plan and his will that he's going to reveal certain things at certain times because that's just how it needs to be. That's his prerogative. Deuteronomy tells us all about it. He says, uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. You realize that even with this whole book, we don't have all the secret things of God. There are things that he still hasn't revealed. There are things that he is not going to reveal. There are things that you're still not going to know even when you get to heaven that are still in the heart of God, in the mind of God, that, that are unique to, to who he is and what he thinks and how he understands everything. And you as a finite human being are never going to access everything about who God is. But he says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. So we respect that, that he can reveal what he wants when he wants. But he says this, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the works of this law. So part of what he's saying is, this is not everything in God's mind, but it's enough. It's enough for you to know who he is, to know what he wants, to follow him, to get to know him, to have eternal life, to have everything that you need, to live a life worthy of the calling that he's put on your life. It's enough. There are questions that I have, and I'm sure you have, about details, about little things here and there. That's in God's heart. He can reveal it if he wants to. He doesn't have to because he's God and I'm not. That's a good thing for us to remember. Who's God? He is. Here's who is not God? Us. <laughs> Let's remember that. Okay, so the other thing is, uh, this is interesting, but... I don't know how, if it confuses anybody or not. Maybe it does. Differences are not contradictions. Differences are not contradictions. What does that mean? What you have in the New Testament, you have four Gospels, right? Four different accounts of, 
of uh, the resurrection of Jesus, four different accounts of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the, the miracles of Jesus, uh, all those things. All, every day they're living with Jesus and uh, they hear and see and, and experience uh, similar things, but not necessarily the same thing. Um, but there are some differences that people point out and say, well, that's a contradiction. Look at this. Is, this Bible can't be true. One of them is the resurrection of Jesus where you have multiple people going to the tomb multiple times and they're having multiple different experiences on that morning. And so they come back and they report that to the, the different people. The, um, the first people to go to the tomb were who? Women. They didn't write the scripture, but they reported what they experienced to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and others. And so they're reporting these things, but they go at different points and different times. There are groups of women that go. So one of the things that is uh, talked about is the fact that there were um, how many angels at the tomb? One, two. So here's what happens is the most important thing that they're focused on is Jesus. Where is he? That's what they're going to find out. They want to go and prepare his body appropriately because that hadn't been done yet. They go to the tomb, find it open, and they say there was an angel. Their focus is on Jesus. Somebody says there was an angel because one angel was talking. Another one says there were two angels, but it's not a contradictory account. It's just more details that were given by one person than the other. Does that make sense? If there's two angels, then there's at least what? One angel. If you and I go experience the same exact thing, are we going to go tell the same exact story to somebody? The answer is no, unless we're corroborating, meaning let's get our story straight. What did we really experience? So that we can tell the same exact story. If that happens, then you begin to believe that something ain't right here. How come you're telling the exact same story in the exact same way with all the exact same details Two people, even standing next to each other, are not going to focus on the exact same thing and, and hear and see and experience exactly the same thing. They're going to go report it a little bit differently. And so when police, you know, they're doing interviews, they expect that there will be little differences. And when there is no difference, then they suspect somebody's a criminal. So differences don't mean contradictions. That's part of it. But here's the deal, is that what's ultimately happening for some people is that when they come to the Bible um, with a desire to undermine it, its authority, its truth, its relevancy, whatever, they're coming as non-believers. And they can't necessarily understand what you and I understand, which is that when you come to God in faith, then he begins to reveal truth. Here's what scripture says that um, it's the spirit of God that uh, will reveal these things. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. Cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. Here's a wonderful little nugget. Faith as small as a mustard seed can produce great amount of fruit. And when a person will come with even just a small amount of faith, even just 
even faith mixed with, with doubt, faith mixed with uncertainty, but a desire to discover the truth, what will happen is that God will reveal his truth to them. And for a believer, what happens is that you, be, you come to the Lord with just even a tiny speck of faith, and God begins to reveal who he is. He begins to reveal his plan. He begins to reveal the truth of his word to you, and things begin to snowball in your life in, in a direction of more faith and more trust and, and more relationship with God until you get to a point of acceptance. So faith does not necessarily mean acceptance, but it does lead you to acceptance. But here's another thing that happens, though, and we have to be honest about this. In the church, what we have is, and, and let's just say the church, okay, I'm not just saying this church, but the church, what you have is some who have faith, and I believe that faith in Christ is enough to save you. No matter how deep it is, no matter how mature it is, no matter how well-versed in Scripture it is, faith in Christ will save you. And that's, praise the Lord, he said that if you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. If you believe, you'll be saved. But there's another level of, of faith that a lot of people don't get to. And here's what's going on. A lot of people are, are willing to ride the surface of faith, willing to ride the surface of Scripture Maybe just reading the passages they like. Maybe just reading the books that they enjoy and never going any deeper. Maybe not even reading it. Just hearing it in, in sermons or hearing it on the radio. And they're just kind of skimming the surface of their faith. And that faith will get them to heaven. I, I'm believing that. But it never will deepen into maturity. And it won't produce the kind of joy and peace and power and confidence and a certainty that you need because there's something that begins to happen as you allow that faith to grow, which is that you will ultimately submit your life and let go and stop trying to control everything on your own and stop trying to, to be the, the boss of your life. And to figure out how I'm going to manage everything and how I'm going to make sure that things work out. And you say, you know what? I've made a mess of it this far. I'm thinking I'm going to let God take control now. There, there are a lot of people who are suffering with a lot of different emotional problems, life problems, moral problems, sin issues, and the reason why, if, if you're confused, okay, about what happens for a lot of people, it's because they're skimming the surface of their faith, and they're like, why, God, why aren't you fixing this? How come you're not changing this? How come things aren't any different? How come they're not any better? It's because you're still trying to hold on to controlling your life and then expecting God to do something that he didn't promise you to do. You let go of that, and you say, God... I'm done trying to control it. I'm going to lay it down at the altar and let you take control of my life. Now what begins to happen is that transformation can really begin. The Bible is full of a, these types of verses, language that talks about maturity, growth, deepening, walking out your faith, being led by the Spirit. And a lot of Christians, because for whatever reason, it's, 
it is not popular, it's not culturally, you know, accepted to say this book is so very important. You need to not just read it, not just believe it, but you need to study it. You need to get its truth into your mind on a daily basis. You need to spend not just moments, but hours pouring into the scripture and let it do its powerful work of changing you. This is where Christ becomes real in your life. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. John 16, 13. When he comes, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit's not going to He's not going to cheat. He's not going to give you truth that you don't read for yourself. You got to let this book become real to you. Hebrews says it is living. It's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we treat it like this, I don't know, relic. Like we, we set it on a shelf and we never approach it because we think, I don't need that. I'm smart enough. Here's what happens. I'll quit in a minute. What happens is you get somebody smart. Smart. Like an Andy Stanley. You know him? He's a smart guy. He was very successful and is very successful as a pastor, as a preacher, somewhere along the way. I remember hearing this like 10 years ago. He would tell his church, if you're not a believer, if you're a Muslim, if you're an atheist, if you're a Buddhist, we don't care. We're glad that you're here. There's something that you can get from the Bible. It'll inspire you. Anyway, even if you never believe in Jesus, he basically would say that every week to his church. He did not care, it seemed, if people really claimed Christ as their Savior, it was enough to just get a little bit of self-help out of the Bible. And there's some truth in that. The Bible will help you. There's, tr- there's enough truth in there that no matter what you believe, if you apply some of these things, it'll change your life, but it won't change your eternity. And I just turned them off. I'm like, I, I, no. We're, they're not here just for a little self-help. We're here to change people's lives so they give their life to Christ. Well, he's so smart. He's helping people, you know, change their life without receiving Christ. And then eventually he says, you know what? The Old Testament, we're done with that. And I heard that and I'm like, you just, you just invalidated two-thirds of the Bible, of God's Word. Everything in the New Testament points to the validity and the, the need and the power and the authority of the Old Testament. And you just threw it out. Well, what happens after that? Well, the, these aren't, this isn't God's word. It's just what Paul wrote. It's just what Peter wrote. This is what Matthew wrote. We don't even refer to it as the Bible anymore or the word of God. We'll just say this is what so-and-so said. You just keep demeaning the Bible. Over, and now we're at a point where North Point Church is going to host a conference um, celebrating gay marriage. Where you just see the progression. You undermine the word of God, and then your, your morals will follow. 
flip that around for a second. It, <laughs> we don't worship the Bible, but the Bible is the word of God. We, we hold it up with great respect because this is how we know who he is. And every word is true and every word is powerful and every word has the potential to change your life. And when you begin to apply that to your heart and to your mind, something begins to change. You, your life begins to reflect God's light. It is a light into my path. It is, it is going to guide me into eternity. Amen? Father, we love you. God, I pray, God, that we would love you first and foremost and love your word, that we would fall in love with Christ and that we would fall in love with your word that leads us to Christ. The world may laugh. <laughs> they might laugh at us. They might not understand. It's okay, Lord. We know the truth. We know the power of your word. We know the reality of what it means to have a foundation. Otherwise, all we have is human reason, and human reason will not get us very far. We want your words. We want your wisdom. We want your, your truth, your understanding. And we thank you that you offer it. We thank you that you have graciously given it to us, Lord. Change us. Conform us to your likeness and help us to be a light to the world around us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you this morning just to respond to the Lord. We were here to pray for you, to pray with you. Our prayer team would love to gather around you and, and lift up anything that's going on in your life, on your heart. Um, grab me, grab Austin, grab anyone. Um, if, if you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray for you. Let's stand and sing.